1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 15, says, But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since that is as written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, for all of its glory like the flower of the grass and the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you our heavenly father we want to soak in this good news we want to soak up, Lord, this unchanging truth. The Lord is the anchor to our lives. Lord, I pray that through the reading, the teaching of your word, but more importantly, through the movement of your spirit in this place, we would hear you, we would know you, we would love you, we would obey you, we would follow you with all of our heart, soul, and mind. We pray this in your name. Amen. You ever wonder what a dream job would look like? I mean, I know that you know that I have a dream job, but do you ever, do you ever think about what a dream job would look like? You, you ever come across somebody and just look at them and it's like, man, I wish I had that job. Man, I, I wish that I was living their life. And, and part of it, when I see someone that has one of those kinds of jobs, I, I want to kind of think back and I just want to think, Man, I hope they appreciate how good that job is. I hope that they understand that everybody would like to have the job that they have. I don't know what comes to mind for you when, when you think about dream jobs. Uh, I probably, again, I have my dream job. But, but if I had to get my second dream job, what, 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 would, it, what would it look like? And, and, I, and I think about a handful of things. Not that I've given this much time, but uh, to be a travel writer. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be nice to be paid to go on vacation? Maybe write a little book report when you're done at the end, but I mean, just really just get to get paid to travel the entire world and tell everybody how great it was. Like, that, that's pretty good. When, when, I, when I was a kid, my, my dream was to be a reporter covering a major league baseball team. Go to spring training, travel, be with the team every day, say, well, they're about to start the game. I guess I have to go to work and go to the ballpark for your job. I mean, how great would, would, would that be? Now, of course, that's when I was a kid. I've matured since then, and, and I, 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 
I understand that's not really, you know, I've matured. I'm, I'm a lot deeper person today. And so if my dream job were today, I would like to work quality control at the Reese's Peanut Butter Cup factory. Is just, listen, I just want to make sure everything's moving down the line correctly. Just for your sake, I want to make sure that everything tastes just, just right. Uh, one other job that I thought of would be kind of funny, fun, and I don't even know if this job really, really exists, but, but I would like to be the guy that carries the six helium balloons and the giant paycheck and delivers you the publisher's clearinghouse jackpot. I, I don't know if anyone's ever actually won that, but they always show the guy on TV, it's like, like six little helium balloons, the giant check, and say, guess what, you're a millionaire. That, that, that would be a lot of fun to have that job, uh, wouldn't it be? But, but if you were to have that job or if someone does have those jobs, really what you want to say is, well, I hope you appreciate how great that job is. I hope that you value whatever it is. And really the truth is that all of us need to value the jobs that we have. But particularly those jobs that, are, man, that's a great job. I keep thinking about that in terms of this passage of scripture because just in the verses that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, it, it talked about what we have in Christ is the envy of the prophets and the angels. That the prophets longed to live in a day in which the things that they were writing about were going to become true. We live in that day. The angels stand there in heaven at the very throne room of God, but they want to be here where the movement and the stirring of God is happening right here and to be able to witness it and see it and feel it and experience it in the flesh. They are the envy of us. And if anything, they would say to us, boy, I hope you all appreciate how great you have it. Added to that this morning is here in the middle of the center of this passage it says, if you call on him as father, man, the prophets say, I want to have that. The angels say, we, we want to see this as up close as possible. And here we are, we discover that the God of this universe is our father. Do you know that people did not understand that concept of father until Jesus introduced it to them? People never referred to a deity as Father until Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who is in heaven. He says to us, God is not just huge. God is not just big. God is not just distant. God is not just powerful. But he is your loving Father. Oh, man, how blessed we are. But at the same time, the challenge to you and me is to be able to say, man, make sure that you fully appreciate what we have. Make sure that we fully have our lives shaped by this incredible thing that we have. It should rearrange our entire lives. And that's what I want us to see in this passage that we read just moments ago. I want us to see how this incredible blessing, series of blessings that we have should rearrange our lives. And so let's take a look at these things together. Uh, the first thing, and, I, and I'd like you to read this uh, with me up here on the, the screen. The, the first thing is, um, let's read this together. My faith must reach my conduct. 
All right, let's try that again because there was two of you that I don't think were participating. All right, let's try it again. My faith must reach my conduct. Much, much better. Here, and I don't want to get too deep here in terms of life and all of that, but here's the truth. Do you know how few people really know who you are? There are very few people who really understand all that you are. The reason for that is our lives are so complex. We have so many different parts to our life that there are very few people who actually can see all of our lives. Now, there are some people who you've known for a long time. You have some best friends. You have a spouse. You have parents. You have kids who really, really know a huge part of you. But even they don't see all of you at one time. In fact, sometimes we can't even see ourselves. And that's the reason why we, we sometimes go and spend some time with a counselor who can maybe help us to unpack some blind spots that we don't always see for ourselves. But there are very few times or places where the wholeness of our life is exposed. What I want to challenge you with and what I want to encourage you with, what I want you to know is that when it comes to our faith, our walk with God, that is one of the places where the fullness, the wholeness of our life needs to be exposed. That part of our life that runs right through the heart, right through the center of it and stretches out to the farthest edges of our life. The reason why I bring that up is in this passage of Scripture, there's one word that appears two or three different times in the text. And the word is your conduct. It says it in verse 15, and it says it again in verse 17, that your conduct may be holy as he is holy. Consider your, whole, your conduct with fear, considering who God is in our lives. Your conduct. Now, to understand the word conduct, because it shows up three different times in this passage, the word conduct means your manner of life. It means that wholeness of who you are, what runs right through the center of who you are and all the way out to the edges of who you are. Our faith must touch our conduct, our whole way of living. In fact, it tells us that because God is holy, we are to be holy. Now, we talked about that last week or two weeks ago with the big lump of clay, which meant that the holy really means separate. There's this big old pile of clay, and then we took a piece out and we said, this is holy, this is separate. It is different. He says, your conduct must be holy because you are part of this lump and not part of this lump. He, he says, consider your life and your conduct and see what it looks like because he says, it, it needs to be your whole manner of life this change in the fullness of who you are. Now, in verse 18, the word appears uh, one more time because it says here uh, that you are knowing that you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefather. Uh, the word there for, for ways is the same Greek word that we just read as conduct. I want you to see that contrast. God says, your faith needs to impact your whole manner of living. Because he is holy, that should impact the way your whole manner of living. And he says, and by the way, your whole manner of living should look completely different than it did before you knew Christ. I want you to think about it. I want you to feel that. I want you to know that. That the totality of who you are straight through the middle all the way out to the edges and everything in between 
because of Christ and his work in our life, it should be different than who we are. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have to used to be a bank robber and now you're not a bank robber. But it does mean that every membrane of your life and thinking and chasing after is different than it used to be because our faith reaches all the way out to my conduct. Now, there, there's a strange word in here that kind of caught me as I looked at the text. It's here in the middle of verse 17. It says, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to one's deeds, here's that word, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now, let me tell you, one of the things that we sing about, one of the things that we talk about, one of the things that's true is the fact that God casts out fear. And yet, here he says, conduct yourselves with fear. Now, here's what's happening. God casts out <laughs> fear that he is larger than. He casts out the fear that he overshadows. But that does not take away from the reality that God is good, God is great, God is loving, but he is also powerful. And as C.S. Lewis would tell us, he is not safe. Because of the bigness of who he is. And our conduct should be shaped differently because of how great God is. Now that doesn't mean we should be fearful of, but we should have this deep respect of. Because of God's power and God's holiness. Now listen. There are some people who have a job that means that they have to go from house to house. They may be reading, news, reading uh, the the. The power meter. I don't know if they even do that anymore because it's all, you know, you and all that stuff. But, but back in the day when they used to have to go and read the power meter, they'd have to go inside the fence and they'd have to meet up with somebody's dog. Now, what everyone says about their dog is, don't worry about my dog. He never bites. You know how many people have been bitten by dogs who never bite? <laughs> Unless that dog's dentures are sitting next to him. There's a possibility that dog bites. And you have to have respect for that. Linemen who are working on the big power cables and even the small power cables, they respect and they fear every one of those lines because of the power that's inside of that. God says that our faith must impact our conduct in part because of our fear of the holiness, the greatness, the power of our God. I want you to hear that even though that's not the most popular thing for us to talk about. I want you to hear it because it's, it's what he says. So we kind of have to take his word for it, right? It, it must be important or else he wouldn't have emphasized it in this place. So my faith has to reach all the way out to my conduct, to the center of who I am, to the far reaches of the edges and everything in between. I also want you to see in this passage, I want you to see in this passage that the next thing, and we're going to read this together, it says that my faith must, rescue, must reflect my rescue. Let's read that together. My faith must reflect my rescue. November 4th, 1979. 
Some of you that may be history buffs can figure out what that date is. But on November 4th, 1979, 52 American diplomats were taken hostage in the, the U.S. Embassy in Tehran. They were held captive for 444 days, the longest hostage captivity that we ever have in recorded history. I was a kid at that time. I remember every news program counting down how many days they had been held in captivity. Part of the reason for that is because it was, it was a terrible thing to think that this enemy people who were holding our people in that place, it was a terrible thing because we understood that the conditions that they were being held in were, were terrible and that they were awful. And it was a terrible thing because as a nation, we felt helpless to do anything about it. Those are our people. We ought to be able to go get them. It cost the president his next term. Because we were so helpless and it bothered us. Listen, here, here's the line that I want to draw. You and I have been held in that same kind of captive and bondage and a hostage situation to death, to sin, to our past, to our brokenness, to our distance from God. You and I have been held in that kind of captivity with that kind of helplessness, with no ability, no plan, no way out of that situation. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says you're not just, you're not, you're not just in danger in sin. He says you are, in, you are dead in your sins. You're not sick. You're not in bondage. You are dead. And this passage of Scripture says remember that you were ransomed. You were rescued. You were in that bondage to sin, death, your past, separation from God, hopelessness, despair. You were in bondage to all of those things, but you have been ransomed. And then hear this in this passage, hear this. You are not ransomed because somebody wrote a check. You are not ransomed, ransomed by silver and gold. But the ransom that was paid for you was the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is what caused you to be rescued and ransomed from your captivity, from the bondage of sin, death, and your past that you could not get loose of. I think Peter brings emphasis to this because there are just some things you don't forget. I think Peter understands this truth theologically, but I think it runs deeper inside of him because he remembers the night that he sat in the upper room with Jesus and they celebrated the Passover together and Jesus began to reorient and redirect all of the words of that Passover meal until he took the bread and said, this body is, this bread is my body which is broken for you. And then he said, this cup is my blood that is poured out for you for the shedding of sin, for the remission of sin. And Peter watched those hours that led up to his captivity to his trial, 
to his execution. He grieved over the death of Jesus and then was amazed by the resurrection of Jesus. But when Peter says to you and I, don't forget that you have been rescued. Don't forget that you have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. It's because he knew Jesus in the flesh. He heard Jesus say, this is my blood that was going to be poured out. And he saw the evidence of it in person. And so it rings so clear into his ear. You have been ransomed by the blood of Christ. And you and I must live a life that reflects the depth of that rescue. The Apostle Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, he says, and so you were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. He says in the next chapter, uh, in chapter 7, he says, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. If Jesus bought you with the blood of his life, don't you dare give your life to any other purpose. Don't you dare give your life to any other, other thing or any person or any other cause. You have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. And that has to impact the way that I live. Gary Smalley is a marriage counselor. Uh, I've used videos that he's used before and, and just kind of talk about marriage and things like that. And one of the illustrations that he likes to do is he takes this old violin and he passes the violin around the room and everyone says it's a violin. Some people in the South, they say it's a fiddle. Uh, they they, they kind of pass it around and they're like, okay, you know, I don't know what to do with this. You know, I, I don't know. And then as it's halfway through, he says, oh, by the way, that, that violin is a Stradivarius violin. Now, you don't have to have a doctor in musical arts to know the Stradivarius, man, that, that's, that's money. I mean, when, when those things come up on the Antique Road Show, I mean, that, that's money. And all of a sudden, they go from just handling this old fiddle to, and the room gasps because they know the value of what it is that they've just touched and what that they've just held. I want you to know the value of your life and even more important than that, the value of your salvation is based on what it's worth. And what it's worth is that Jesus paid for your salvation with his blood. And so, it's one of those blessings that we have to walk differently because we hold. My faith must reflect the value and the cost of my rescue. There's another place here that I want us to notice here, and that is that, that my faith has to anticipate my progress. My faith has to anticipate my progress. Let's read this together. My faith must anticipate my progress. We, we have a theological tension sometimes between those two things that Scripture tells us, there's two things that the preacher tells us, there's two things that, that we kind of know, and that is that when you pray to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ask for the forgiveness of sin and that his penalty that he paid on the cross saves you once and for all, that you are saved, 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 and it's Jesus' completed work in your life, and you are completely saved, not mostly saved, not on the way to being saved. You are saved, and it is a finished work inside of your life. Does that sound true? That's right. 
I can say it again if I need to. Does that sound true? But there's another part of it that's just as true inside of Scripture, and it doesn't make the first one anyone, any less true, and that is that you're not finished. There is work that God wants to continue to do in his life. In fact, your salvation is the beginning point of your salvation. Several times in Scripture, the Word of God marvels at spiritual maturity that hasn't progressed beyond infancy, beyond spiritual infancy. The Word of God says, you are still, you are still on spiritual milk when by now you should be eating spiritual meat. You're still, you're still living out the first baby steps of your spiritual life. Why, why, why haven't you moved past that? Every once in a while, you and I will say to somebody, maybe out loud or maybe just thinking it to ourselves, you know, I, I'm not really that great of a Christian. I'm not really all, all of that. Now, part of that may be humility. Part of that maybe you don't want to brag. But part of it sometimes is you don't want to be held accountable. Some of that is just saying, listen, don't expect too much of me. I'm saved and that's it. The Word of God says, why, why, why are you still here? Why haven't you moved past that? The passage of Scripture says here in verse 22, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience. You see, our souls still need to be purified. We come back to the, the, the lumps. You remember the lumps from two weeks ago? The, there was the lump that we were a part of, but when we come to know Christ, we are pulled out, we are separated, and we are holy because we are now part of His lump forever and for always. And we need to begin to look like we're here. But what do we do when we are, we are part of this lump, the separate lump, the holy lump, the Jesus lump? But we still kind of look and sound like the other lump. I'm here, but there's an awful lot of me that kind of looks, smells, tastes, feels like back here. Well, Scripture says... We are purified through obedience. We are here, but we begin to look more like here and less like that when we become obedient. Now, that obedience has two pieces to it here. One, and you see that in the text, one is it comes through relationship. It comes through uh, relationship. Look at it here in verse 22. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Our obedience means that it's lived out in relationship. And the color of who we are changes to look more like the holy lump and less like this lump, the more that we are obedient and that's lived out in relationship. The other side of it, though, says that we are obedient through the imperishable seed, which is the living and abiding word of God at the end of verse 23. Verse 24 tells us that this word of God is unchanging forever and for always. Both of those things 
cause our maturity. A change in our relationships and an anchor to the unchanging Word of God. Sometimes there's a pull on side of us that wants to just choose one of those. You know what? I'm going to just kind of rearrange all my relationships and I'm going to love everyone that there is to love. But it's not anchored in the Word of God. We have to have both. Sometimes there's a pull on us that says, listen, I'm going to be so theologically sound, I don't care who likes it and who doesn't. No, it, it, it's, it's got to be both. God put them together. It, it's, you can't pull them apart. They're, they're together inside of your own life. There has to be a pursuit of relationship and a pursuit of rightness that comes through the Word of God. If we're not being transformed in our, relation, in our obedience that impacts relationships anchored on the Word of God, then our spiritual growth will be stunted and we'll still remain in whatever stage of spiritual life we are. When instead we should be being purified by obedience, lived out in relationship, anchored through the Word of God. In terms of what's now, what's next, I want us to think, I want you to think about three different places where God might want to do a work in your life. I want you to think about a place of obedience that you need to get right this week. A place where you can be purified by being obedient to what you know that God says, that but for whatever reason, rebellion or whatever, that you're not living that out. I want you to think about that place of obedience I want you to think about that person of friction. You know, sometimes we talk about a person of interest. Spiritually, sometimes we have a, a person of friction. But I want you to think about a person of friction where your faith is going to be made, be revealed as God works that out as you deal with a person in your life. That's not easy. But I'm going to tell you that sometimes God puts those people in our lives to sharpen us, to rough off some hard places, to soften us, to change us, to redirect us. Man, is there a person of friction in your life? That, that you need to work on. And, and then we didn't spend a ton of time in the passage here, and I really want to, but talking about believing the unchanging word of God. Is there a truth that's revealed in the Word of God that you've just struggled to accept? You're like, nah, I don't know. I don't like that. That doesn't sound right to me. And so you've just said, you know what? I'm going to believe all of these sections, but ah, not so much on this section. Man, as long as there's that disobedience, there's a relationship that you've excluded from the grace of God, and there's a truth of authority that you've ignored. Man, there's no progress spiritually in our life until we deal with those things.